What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Open Guard Cast. I'm really excited about my guest today. I have Felicia O. Oh. She's a multiple-time Master World Champion. She's won Nogi Worlds, ADCC Silver Medalist. She's one of the BJJ Dirty Dozen for females, so one of the first females outside of Brazil to receive her black belt. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So just wanted to ask you a couple questions about your start in the sport. So you started... Nowadays, it's really common for people to start at a really young age, and you found jiu-jitsu as an adult. So what did your life kind of look like in terms of your career and some of your passions before you found jiu-jitsu? Uh, well, yeah, I had already gone through a couple careers. I um, went to school for fine art, and um, I uh, came to Los Angeles for graduate school. And after I got out, I couldn't get a job. I... Uh, kind of got stuck because, you know, you have a master's in fine art, doesn't really give you too much. But I ended up uh, at the American Film Institute and I got into computer graphics work there. And um, as I was working in that industry, I found jujitsu by accident from rock climbing. Um, a friend of mine took me on a hiking trip with her husband and it was an awful, awful trip. <laughs> and uh, we went to Mount Whitney and we got snowed in. And there was like a, a big storm and we almost died. Oh, wow. And he was telling me about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it was this thing, you know, for smaller people, it was about technique over size and strength. And I uh, really had no interest on the way up to the trip. And then after we had this horrible experience, we're, <laughs> we're in the car coming back, just kind of glad that we're alive. And um, I was like, what was that thing you were talking about? You know, because like the indoors sounded really nice. Yeah. <laughs> no more getting <laughs> so snowed in. So the next in. <laughs> day, I, you know, the next Monday, I I went to watch a class. The next day, I took a class, and um, I just started going. And you know, people tend to think that, oh my gosh, I did it, and I fell in love with the sport, and I, uh, you know, I found the sport. It's like no, it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> you know, I I think I've done a lot of sports in my life, and I was never very good. I I was always good, but not great at anything, mm -hmm. like decent enough to make the team, but, but the JV, you know, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get cut, but I was on the JV. Uh, so, you know, like I just started going two days a week and I kind of felt like, well, I paid for it. I'm going to like take class. I'm not going to skip it. So it was never an issue. And I just went regularly and then I started competing and, you know, I was like everybody else. I armbarred the wrong arm for a year and a half. <laughs> you know, I felt like I was in a in a closet with no lights for for months, years, um, and every once in a while you'd get a little glimpse of light and you go, mm -hmm. oh. Um, so it wasn't a thing where I was like, oh my God, I finally found the sport. But eventually it came to be kind of the perfect sport to marry my mindset, my attributes that I could use my attributes, which is one of the beauties of jujitsu, right? Like you can create and adapt it to whatever your abilities are. Yeah, right? absolutely. So whether you're, whether you're small, you're big, you're flexible, you're athletic, you're slow, you know, like you, you get to use what you have and develop it around those things. Definitely. Yeah. That's so I guess it's, it, it's like such a democratic sport in that way, yep. right? Like you yeah. get to tailor it. Yeah, I was going to kind of piggyback on what you were saying. That's one of my favorite parts of jiu-jitsu, too. It doesn't matter how much flexibility you have, how old you are, how fast you are. You can find a game that's going to work for you. Yeah. 
and then, you know, and then, you know, being in the right environment, everyone has to find the right place for them. Right. So mm-hmm. I think there were definitely times where I would do a technique and, and I was like, I'm having trouble doing it. And then, you know, my instructor, Jean-Jacques would say like, it helps if you have longer legs, like, kind of <laughs> like this might be not the move, but at least you go through and you try it because, you know, I'm generally a smaller person, but when I'm fighting someone my size or, or I'm teaching kids or something, then I'm the bigger person, right? So mm-hmm. you have to have that experience of both sides. I think when you're small and you're big, you don't always consciously get the experience of the other side. I know like big guys, right. they don't feel another big guy until they go into a tournament and they're like, oh my God, like, or they go to an open <laughs> division and they're like, no, we know what you feel like. I'm yeah. like, yeah. Someone you know, else is strong. <laughs> yeah. Someone else is bigger than you and smashing you. Now you're the, you're the bug on the bottom getting smashed. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's another great thing. It's just like you get to experience those different parts of it. Right? Mm-hmm. You touched a little bit on like finding the optimal environment for you. And I think that's something that's different for everyone, but starting out, like you were probably one of the only females in the class, you were, you were smaller, like you mentioned. What are some tips that you would have for people for finding the right environment for them? I think nowadays it's so different because there are so many academies everywhere. So I think it's a little bit easier in that sense to find a place where you feel comfortable. Uh, and, and I suggest people, you know, like go to every, look it up, easy. I mean, we have computers, we have phones, you know, find all the places that are near where you live that are feasible for you to get to and go try a class. And I think pretty much every place lets you try at least one day free or at least a week, you know, either a day or a week. Um, go, go see how you feel. If you feel comfortable there, if there are people, if you find your tribe, as they say, (laughs) right? Like if you're 45 years old and you have a family and a job and you have, obligations in your certain point in your life, you might not want to go to the place that is focused on 21 year old competitor, professional athletes, which is something that didn't exist before, right? That, that, that category. (laughs) Um, so you, you know, I think if you go to the place you feel comfortable and, um, if you, you know, feel that you have people like you that kind of support where you are and are open to where, what your, um, situation is, right. Everyone's different. And uh, that's one of the beauties now is that there are those options. And back then you didn't necessarily have those options, right? And it was a lot, a lot uh, rougher to, to get in. <laughs> there wasn't so much of an onboarding mm-hmm. back then, right? Now people are much more friendly and helpful, I think. And back then people didn't really necessarily acknowledge you in the room because you were a white belt. And if you just kept showing up and you were still there, eventually you know, you earned your respect and you were still there. So, um, when I started, there was actually, we had a beginning class, which was really helpful. And the teacher of the beginning class Silverado was great. And, um, I got really lucky. The guys in the class, um, I became friends with and, um, they were really helpful and supportive of me and protective as well. Uh, so, uh, that was, you know, a great thing for me. So I, I got really lucky that I went into the school that I did at the time that I did. Yeah, that's amazing. And you talked about too, how now there's so many options with schools, there's competition schools, there's schools for people who train more as a hobby. Back then, was it, did pretty much every school have people who competed? Was it a pretty good mix of people or what was the dynamic like in schools back then? There were a lot less tournaments back then. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I'm trying to remember, because, you know, when you start, you have no idea what world you're going into. And then you have no idea that it's going to take over your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that your whole life is going to become this thing. Um, I, th- I know, like, when I started um, at John Jacques, he was throwing the big tournaments at the time. And so after six months, he was having a tournament. And, you know, I heard about it, and I knew there were other people that were doing it. But uh, I was like... a. I asked Silverado, like, do you think I'm ready to do the tournament? And he's like, yeah, of course. So I went and did it, and um, I don't really know how many other people were there from my academy that were competing. I, I know throughout the years, um, there was, uh, like, Eddie Bravo mm-hmm. was a big competitor, and I know kind of his group, his generation – there were a bunch of people that competed coming up. Uh, during my time coming up, there was only a couple of people that would regularly be at the tournaments. Um, but I also know uh, through my experience, and actually just last night I was at a, at a tournament coaching some people, you know, I think like inside your academy, you have a community there of people and they become your family. I know like when you go to compete at jujitsu tournaments, you start meeting people from other places. You meet people that are in your division or that you start seeing regularly, right? And then that becomes mm-hmm. this whole other community of people that you have in jujitsu, right? You have these different yep. subsets. And so when you go to co- tournaments, you see your friends from the tournaments from other academies. And and so and then it grows from there. And I think it's, it, it's beautiful, you know? Um, so like yesterday I was at a tournament and got to see a lot of old friends, especially coming out of COVID. You didn't see them. You, know, you haven't seen yeah. people for a while. So now we're just starting to see people again. And, and it's, it's awesome. Right. And then I got to see the white belts and blue belts. One of the kids, not kids, they were grown ups. Um, so he's talking to another guy and I know it's not someone from our Academy. I was like, Hey, is that like someone that you competed with before? He goes, yeah, yeah, we met at another tournament and we didn't compete. We were in the same division, but we didn't end up competing this time. And so like they're developing their friendships, right? And I think that's one of the great things of, of jujitsu. And then just seeing people you haven't seen for a long time that we came up with and they're all coaching, they're refereeing, they're doing all these different parts of the jujitsu community. So... It's yeah, awesome. it is really cool. Yeah. I love how the community is really tight knit, and you can be friends with people who don't necessarily train at your academy. Yeah. It's it's really great. Yeah. So, do you remember some of your early competition experiences, like how you did in your first couple competitions, and how that kind of progressed I, I, to I, to you getting to a high level? <laughs> absolutely. I I went I went to my first tournaments. Uh, I watched. I went and watched one tournament. And uh, it was just a few weeks after I had started. My friend that got me into jiu-jitsu and I bought my first gi there had no idea. And then six months later, I did my first tournament. So I um, I, I win my first match and I sit down and I'm huffing and puffing. My arms are pumped and I'm just <laughs> like overwhelmed and exhausted. And then the girl comes over, or kid, I don't even remember, and says, okay, you have five minutes and then you fight again. Or maybe he said 10 minutes. I don't know. And I was like, what? Because I didn't really understand bracketing. I mean, I had no idea. I didn't really. It was just like, I'm going to go do a tournament. So I'm going to go. And I was like, oh, no, I have to fight again. I didn't I didn't really understand this. So I uh, 
I fight the next match and I get mounted. And I think I was on the bottom of being mounted for about a minute and a half, but it felt like about, I don't know, a couple hours that I was (laughs) stuck there. And then when I could finally get out of the mount and recover sort of a half guard, the time was up. And so I lost that match. Um, But you get hooked, you know, then you're like, okay, how do I work on that position? And I went back the next day, learned, learned that position. And that's how you progress in jujitsu. That's how I progressed quickly. And that's how, uh, competition helps you get better. I think there's obviously you can overdo it. Right. But I think Mm -hmm. competition, like you, you prepare and you kind of focus your game and, you start to learn what is effective for you and you go and try it. And it's, it's like, um, like testing, right? Like it's a lab test. It's just data. And whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter. It's like data. It's like, if you lose, it's like, it's like a little bit more of an objective feedback because every day you're training with the same people, you know what they do. They know what you do. So you get to fight someone that you don't know what they do. Um, especially at the lower levels, like you're coming up, you don't have any idea who you're fighting and yeah. you get to find out what works, what doesn't work. You know, especially if you lose, then you go, oh my gosh, I need to work on this position. This is a big hole. This is a big hole. So that's a great time to go back and readjust and, and, and you know, speed up your learning. And then you open mm-hmm. up, try all these things and then get ready for the next tournament if you decide to do that a little ways down. And then you start like focusing again. I think you know, there's definitely, if you start doing them every week, you never have that time to correct and adjust and grow and add new things, yeah. right? You add new things, grow, and then you pare it down again, and then you grow, pare it down. And so there's this growth that happens. Um, and I think for me, that really helped accelerate my my progression, you know? So would you attribute a lot of your success in competition to that process, maybe competing, looking at your mistakes, going back, fixing them, and then just gradually over time, your results started getting better and better? Yeah, I think that, and I think, you know, I tell people, I think everyone should, I would never force an adult, kids, definitely, they should compete, but I think everyone should try it a couple times. Um, Mm -hmm. Competition is a whole different skill set, right? Like, when you go and train, that's one set of skills every day that you go in there, but going to a competition, you know, getting ready, preparing the week before, the month before, the day before, the hour before, all the emotions that you go through. And, you know, I, I don't think some of that stuff ever goes completely away. Um, but that's all part of the experience. And it's a different, again, a different subset of skills and experiences of how you do that. Um, and so I think there's a lot of learning there. And for me, I got to a point, uh, I think it was about a purple belt and I would go to tournaments and I was, I I lost to someone I thought I should have won that match. Like I know I had the ability and skill to win that match, but somehow I like something like I was out somewhere else and, Mm -hmm. um, the adrenaline and all these things. And, um, I went to a sports psychologist and he helped me develop tools to, learn those skills just as if in the same way that you go to class and learn a technique, Mm -hmm. I needed someone to teach me these skills on competing for competition. And that made a big difference for me. And it took a long time, 
you know, a lot of trial and error, failure, going back to the drawing board and trying these new skills of how I compete, how my mind is, how I prepare for it, that helped me get to that level. Yeah, definitely. So as you went through that process, the mental process and obviously the physical process of competing, was there a tournament where things felt like they really started to click and you felt like I can actually win high level tournaments? I can beat good black belts. Was there kind of a turning point or was it just something that was so gradual? It just, you kind of just ended up there. You know, it's so funny because back then, so 2005 was the first time they had women at ADCC and Mm -hmm. it was just invites. And then um, I think that was about the time I started with the sports psychologist. So in the same way that you learn techniques and your game improves, I, I think I was working with him and going through different tournaments. And in a sense, now we have, we know that there's certain tournaments that people want to do, whether it's the worlds of IBJJF or ADCC. Mm -hmm. Um, Back then, uh, there was ADCC, but it wasn't so clear that there were women, right? It was just starting. And so... There wasn't really a long vision. It was just putting one step in front of uh, one foot in front of the other, taking steps forward. And so, as that was opening up and growing, I was improving. And I think um, I had some failures. You know, like I went to Japan twice and competed and lost both times. And I think those were things where I was working on those skills and and uh, getting better at mm-hmm. that. And the timing was that day was ADCC 2017 um, when I beat uh, some people that uh, had a lot more experience than me and was like, wow, like um, I, I, that was that moment. Right. And uh, I went to the finals of that tournament. So that was 2007 ADCC? Seven. Okay. Cool. 2007. Yeah. Did I say 77? Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that was ADCC especially. I feel like now everyone knows ADCC is one of the premier tournaments. But I think back then it was even more revered as being, like, the number one tournament for jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So did you do any, like, specific preparation for ADCC? Because I think back then a lot more people were training in the gi, as far as, as far as I know. Anecdotally, I've just heard that gi training was a little bit more common in the early days. Um, were you, like, taking the gi off to train and training specifically for that rule set? Or were you just kind of competing in, in no gi and just taking your gi off? So what happened for me is when I got to Purple Belt, there weren't really any people to compete with at any of the tournaments, except for, at the time, Pan Americans, as mm-hmm. it was called back then, <laughs> um, and Worlds. So aside from that, there was really no competitors. And so I started doing... Nogi, more nogi tournaments like Grappler's Quest, which was the big one at the time. And it would be two years and up, three years and up, expert divisions, yep. things like that. And so then I would have people to compete against. And at the same time, you know, Eddie Bravo came back from 2003 and started 10th Planet. And so I was training with both Jean Jacques and Eddie as he was doing that. So I was doing a lot of nogi training. And Again, my opportunities to compete were no-gi. And so that just kind of kept happening for me. Like, there's another no-gi tournament. So then um, for ADCC and the trials, that, that definitely changes. And 
I, I think for me, like we were talking about, like I was already an adult at the time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my training for competition, I did train as an athlete at the time. And I don't think a lot of people did yet. Yeah. Right. So, um, coming up when I was a little kid, I did gymnastics and we were like lifting weights and doing that when I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So I kind of understood how to do that. I, um, had been involved with kettlebells. So I knew how to put together programs. And then later I had, um, a strength and conditioning person Mm -hmm. as I got closer to ADCC and those pieces fell into place for me. Um, but it's tricky because how do you train for a tournament where the match is 10 minutes and the final is 20 minutes. And so you have to train for a 10 minute match and then you're gonna have a few of those and then you have to assume that you're going to make it to the final and also train for 20 minutes, which is kind of a huge difference in how you train, Definitely. right? And and I think even the trials was like maybe six minutes, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> so you're kind of stepping up. And, um, you know, I was 39 at the time and uh, just in the best shape of my life and everything kind of, you know, that was that pinnacle moment for me um, across the boards was was that that tournament you talked a little bit about about training professionally and like doing strength and conditioning and stuff like that did you have a career as well outside of jiu-jitsu or were you just focusing on your training so as i progressed in jiu-jitsu um i was working in broadcast graphics in hollywood and um over time they kind of in there was like this you know cross inversion of them so (laughs) As I got more into jiu-jitsu, my graphics career changed. I um, started teaching graphics, right, instead of working in the field. And so that became a more stable uh, schedule that I could train around Mm -hmm. because I was teaching instead of working endless hours on some random job. Um, And as time went by... Um, that slowly diminished. And then I started teaching jujitsu as well. So, so the, a, a gym opened up and I started teaching there full time. And then I, right December, 2006, I was supposed to go back to teaching. And I, after Christmas break, I, a winter break, I decided not to go back to teaching to get ready for ADCC and just commit to training full time. Although I'd already minimized my schedule, but then I was like, okay, I, I, I need to just focus on this. This is kind of the one-time shot, right? And um, so after that, then I ended up teaching a lot after that. And just, that was like where the careers changed. And I, I ended up, uh, I ended my teaching graphics career. <laughs> and transitioned to just teaching jujitsu. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so how how difficult was that? Because I think nowadays there's a lot of people trying to make a living in jiu-jitsu, whether through competition or through teaching or any means they can through the sport. So how much more difficult was that when you tried to do it than it would be nowadays? Well, I had a great situation back then because I basically got hired full-time and I ended up moving to that town and uh, it was great. And we had a fight team. We had uh, a lot of different resources. At that time, it was sort of an anomaly, right? Mm-hmm. And 
then there was also times where I was like a lot of, you know, driving to three different places in different parts of LA. And I spent a lot of time driving, coaching, you know, for a while I coached high school wrestling. I taught at several different academies, did privates. It's hard. And in some ways, I don't know if it's easier or harder now because you have more people doing the sport. You have a lot more academies, but there's also a lot more people training, right? So there's a bigger audience for it. Um, So I I don't know. Um, I do a few different things now. You know, I work for the athletic commission and teach and do different things now. Um, And then, you know, we just went through a weird year and a half of (laughs) stuff. So, and people are trying to find out different ways. Um, I think there's a lot more opportunity, but I think it's also more competitive. So I guess it balances out. Right. Mm -hmm. I do want to get into the stuff, the work you do at the athletic commission and all the, all the other stuff you do. But I do want to talk also about the, the injury that you had, you were talking about how you got sick and you kind of had to stop, stop training, put a stop to your training and competition schedule. So can you talk about that and kind of overcoming that obstacle? Yeah, so actually 2007 was like the biggest year of my life and it was um it was the biggest high and the biggest low. So uh ADCC uh I came home from that and got separated from my husband 3 days after oh, that. Wow. And then later that year um you know, I was pushing pretty hard. I was competing with Fila and went to Turkey to compete there. Um and what happened was uh 2007 we did a CrossFit certification in October at the gym I was teaching at. And after that, I never quite felt right. And actually my voice is a little like raspy today, but that's not normal anymore for me. <laughs> like, I think it was just cause I was traveling and coaching and yelling yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was cold outside last night. So, um, but what happened is I didn't feel well for about a month after that. And I went to the doctor and they did some testing. And so I basically, I had mono mononucleosis is, uh, the main symptom for Epstein-Barr virus. 90% of the population they now think have it. So you probably have it, um, and don't know it. Most people you hear about it from kids or college students getting it and they feel really tired for a few months and then they get over it. Well, it's a virus that stays in your body. I never got over it. And, um, there's some people that I've now found, uh, over the time that, or in the same thing, I basically would train and after a couple of days I would crash. I had a lot of different symptoms, but one was, I think, cause, uh, my, uh, lymph nodes or stuff like were swollen. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had a raspy voice all the time. Um, but my, uh, I would train for a couple of days and then I would crash like within 30 minutes, it was like someone sucked the energy out of me and I had to crawl into bed and, you know, like those, um, inflatable, um, things like at car dealerships that flip around those bodies, you know, those guys that they're, they have air flying into them and they're like dancing around. Yeah. And then if you t- turn off the, the, the air blower and they collapse, that's what I felt like. Wow. Like everything was drained out of me and I had to go sleep for a day. And so I tried to train it out of me. I tried to out condition it out of my system. That didn't work. I did a lot of different diets. I tried every diet on earth and that didn't help. And went through a lot of um, different things. And so for five years, I kept trying. And then I, I pretty didn't, much didn't train. I was teaching for that time. And then I got to October of 2014. I took my student to Hawaii to compete. And I was like, when I get back, I'm going to start a whole new career. I don't know what it is, but I can't continue teaching jujitsu when I can't do it. 
I love, I really like teaching, but I really love training. And if I can't train and keep up and keep learning new things and keep developing, I didn't want to continue teaching because mm -hmm. it wasn't the joy that I found. Right. Yeah. And it found, it kind of felt disingenuous. And I was like, I, I guess I need to find a whole new life and start something else. And I went to Hawaii. My friend told me about an algae supplement. Within two days, I started feeling better. Wow. And um, I came back the next day. I went back to Jean-Jacques Machado's where I had started and I um, had left to go teach at this other academy full time. So I, and I was like, I want to come back and oh yeah, I'm going to sign up for Master's Worlds. <laughs> That's in a week and a half. And he's like, get on the mat. And then there was no one in my division. And then the next day, someone pops into my division. And I go back. I go, uh, someone's in my division. There's someone to fight. Should I drop out? And he looks at me like I'm like crazy. He's like, no, get back on the yeah. mat. You know, like that's why you're doing this. So, um, and, and at that time, it was like when I was – competing before in 2007 it was regular adults right and uh there was still a stigma around masters by 2014 that had started to change um uh, because the the sport had changed right and um so i went back to training and i said i don't know how i'm going to do this i might only be able to train a couple times a week because of the fatigue crashes that i have and all these things and over time through just evolving, trying so many different supplements, herbs, treatments, I think I slowly have built back my system. And over the years, just adding a little bit more, changing my diet again, finding different things. Um, I'm back training. I don't do a lot of strength and conditioning like I used to, which I'm, well, I'm good with that. I'd rather just train jujitsu. Um, but I've been able to train and come back and compete pretty regularly, except for the COVID time. Um, and I feel great. So I still have to pay attention to my energy levels and my, you know, everything. And I, I kind of think of it, you know, I think at a certain age, we start to get uh, warning signs, whether it's friends of ours who get cancer or we get cancer, which has happened a lot for me. Um, and it, it at, at a certain time in your life, maybe in your thirties, forties or fifties, you, you see that happening to people around you. And I think we have to pay attention and it's like, okay, how do I want to take care of myself better? How do I want to live my life? How do I want to live without having a bucket list? I had an uncle who was a few months away from retiring and he got brain cancer and he's like able to, he was able to communicate that there were these things he wanted to do, trips he wanted to take that he would never get to do. And how do we live? Like we're living healthier, we're living longer and we have the ability to take care of ourselves at a higher level now. And, you know, like things to monitor our, health. I yep. mean, there's no lack of information out there. So it's really comes down to a choice. Like, do you take care of yourself or do you not? Right. And I think it's, as we call it, you know, the jujitsu lifestyle. I think that is a great piece of it that, you know, I used to do a lot of strength and conditioning so I could compete better. Right. So if I'm taking care of myself, 
better because of jujitsu, then, then how great is that? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I may not necessarily always choose the right foods to eat <laughs> and do all of the, those things, but I am aware, right? Like, okay, I'm going to pay a consequence for this or am I willing for that trade off? Okay. Today. Yeah. I'm going to go eat this today. And you know, I've dealt and, and made a lot of progress with eating disorders and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But I think it, it was just a real big warning sign for me that, you need to take care of yourself and pay attention to these things. And so maybe I got a little bit of a head start on that warning. Um, and I'm not starting at 60 when I get to 60 to start taking care of myself. You know, I've always kind of taken care of myself, but it was like you, you overdid it. You taxed your system and allowed this virus to take hold of you. So how do I battle back from that? And I'm so glad I, I didn't quit. You know, because now I came back and I am more in love with jujitsu than I ever have been, right? And because of how the world has evolved, like Masters Tournament is the most amazing tournament because everybody's there and the vibe is so great because everyone, it's about that longevity, right? It's not necessarily just trying to prove yourself. It's it's supporting everybody else there. Mm -hmm. And... You know, if, if you don't show up, then your opponent, that person doesn't have someone to fight against, right? Yeah. Um, and it's being there to support each other. It's seeing people that you've seen for years that are still in it. And it be, it's become different because of how the sport has aged and the people in the sport have aged. And, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, you talked about the longevity and like you've obviously had a ton of longevity in the sport competing across multiple decades. Like what advice would you give for someone who is getting into the sport and they want to do it for life, but you know, there's issues like burnout or people changing careers. There's lots of different reasons why someone would quit injuries or having an illness or something like that. But how have you been able to maintain that longevity and be more in love with the sport 20 years after starting it? So I I think, you know, that, yeah, there's definitely burnout that can happen, especially as you're climbing the mountain, right? As you're coming up, there's definitely burnout. You have to manage it. And I mean, I've had my share of injuries, major, right? Um, and I think, you know, you, you can overdo it. I mean, I, I'm a little, I, I mean, I don't use the word obsessive, but I would just say focused. And my sports psychologist years ago said, we can call it immersed. I get immersed <laughs> in, in worlds and um, get get focused. And like, I can't manage too many things. So I get kind of focused in worlds. But um, yeah, there definitely, there's definitely burnout that can happen. And, um, I don't know. I, I think maybe that time and maybe that break of not really being focused and not training for five years and just being around it and teaching and the reality of not having that in my life, um, brought me back in a much more grateful way mm-hmm. you know it's like kind of the longest relationship I've had <laughs> I was like I was about to sign the divorce papers on jujitsu and then, <laughs> you know fell back in love with it um and you know I I think it's just generally you have to take care of yourself you know you have to be realistic about your life and I think people need to chase dreams but you also have to um you have to pay your rent yeah yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's important. Um, you know, I, I think it happens to people like at some point in the life cycle, generally at Blue Belt, people fall in love with the sport and then they're ready to quit their job <laughs> at that moment. So as a Blue Belt, it might not be ideal to quit your job. <laughs> And, uh, I, I think we, you know, like there's so many creative ways, you know, especially after our recent time, you know, that you can, um, find, be creative and find ways to live, um, and pay your bills and maybe, uh, use your computer in different ways and, or there are different options for like you like not everyone has to go to an office and sit there for ten hours a day every day anymore, yeah. right? So, um, you know, and there's always other stuff to learn in the world and things to discover and create and find other ways to to get by. Definitely, yeah, you've definitely done a really really great job of that. I know you used to do a lot of jiu-jitsu media stuff. I know you're still involved with it, but you did the Grapple TV podcast. You did a bunch of interviews and some journalism work, and uh, you mentioned being involved with the Athletic Commission now. So can you talk yeah. about some of those side projects and how those were part, part of your journey in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, well, the, the commission, what happened was when I was teaching at that the MMA gym, like they would do their meetings there, and I was like a manager up there. So I, I would stay and, and sit through the meetings because I had to lock up the place, right? And so I s- sort of got to see a little bit what that was about. And we had a fight team that I was coaching, helping coach at the time. And, you know, like it didn't really make sense. And I just kind of started knowing what that world was about. And, you know, Big John McCarthy, he was there. It was his gym. And so as a referee, he was doing courses. So I got really familiar with that other side of MMA. And uh, eventually, you know, when I stopped coaching, they were needing inspectors at the time and they wanted to get inspectors who had combat experience and I, I fit the bill mm-hmm. and I was interested in getting into that side. Um, cause now I didn't really have any conflicts. Uh, so I, uh, started working for the commission and it's, it, it's been awesome. And it's, you know, there are other ways to be involved in the sport, right? Whether, uh, I know other people are like uh, some friends of mine have recently been getting more into learning about judging and refereeing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we all watch MMA events and sometimes the referee or the judge gets it different yeah. <laughs> or, or not so right. Um, and I think as our community grows and we get, have the experience and even if you didn't have experience boxing or kickboxing, like you have the jujitsu experience. And I think that, that that's a little more rare, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot more people that have the boxing experience or awareness, you know, to understand what's going on when people get choked or if they're, uh, if they're in danger or not, because you've been in that position, right? So there's that crossover and that information that is valuable, right? It, on the other side. And, uh, so there are opportunities like that, you know, I know a lot of people with a lot of the events, you know, they're refereeing now or judging even in jujitsu events mm-hmm. or commentating, yeah. you know, just, <laughs> and, and it's so cool that there are these opportunities, uh, to grow and to be involved. And so for me, when I work at an event, uh, either I get to meet 
amazing fighters and coaches and people that I may not have known, or I get to see people that I may have come up with that we were part of that competition scene before. And now they're coaching their students and their fighters. And it's an extension of that community we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And you get to be there to be part of that. And it's a lot of fun. You know, you get to, you know, I'm not the, the point of attention, you know, people get excited because they're like watching the other scene. They're like, I know her, I know her. And they're like, who's Chris Cyber? They're like, no, the girl next to her, you know? And, and it's, it's super fun. It's like, where's Waldo, right? Yeah. So they're like, oh, there she is, which is super fun. But, and, and I did, in fact, like used to work as an extra many years ago when I was in graduate school. So I'm always uh, the bridesmaid over there in the background. Um, but it's a lot of fun, you know, that you get just to be involved with the sport because we are part of that sport, you know, we are jujitsu, right? And um, so, yeah, it, 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 I, I would encourage other people like in other places to get involved with that for sure. I mean, why not? Right? Yeah, like, if you can be part of building the sport that you're in love with, yeah. that's what could be better than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, so do you want to talk a little bit about where you see the sport going in the next maybe like 10 to 15 years? Because you've seen it transition from a place where it was like when there weren't that many practitioners to now it's getting more mainstream attention. Where do you see it in about uh, another decade or so? Um, man, it's, it's growing everywhere, you know, like there are jujitsu places then strip malls all around the world. Right. Um, good and bad, right. There's always like, growing pains and they're always like negative things. And, you know, I, I, you know, there's always the fear of the watering down and, and that kind of stuff or the, uh, you know, McDojo thing. Um, that's always possible. There's always the possibility of oversaturation, but I think one thing that makes jujitsu different is that every day that we train, we're always going live, right? So it's just like in the old days, someone comes in with a black belt and I don't know why, but they come into a jujitsu academy with a black belt on and then they get, you know, destroyed by a white belt or a blue belt. So I don't understand that mentality. First of all, like why you would do that or that used to happen in tournaments, you know, some, person from wherever would want to be in the black belt or the expert division it's like okay you're gonna get killed (laughs) right so i don't understand what that is but i think one thing that's different in our sport is that the proof is in the pudding there right like like it's on the mat every time and so you know if someone's a fraud or someone's not really as accomplished or what they say they are, they're not fully truthful. I think that eventually comes out. And, you know, I think in the old days there, you, you could be very insular about that. And now we have the internet, right? Like <laughs> you can't hide I, anything. I, 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 you know, like, is your teacher legit? I don't know. Like, let me look him up. You know, like, <laughs> like it's not hard. We're all, it's a different world that we live in, right? Yeah. There's a lot of resources. So you can always just search anybody. Um, you can always duck, duck, go anybody on, uh, <laughs> online. Right. So, um, I think it kind of, 
you know, like if it was another martial art where you weren't actually, you know, like, oh, I can't really do it because it's too deadly or, you know, you're breaking a board and not to put those down, but those are different. That's a different skill set. That's a different approach. Right. And I certainly think that, that there's a possibility, but I think ultimately it's live that, and that's the beauty of it too, right? We can go live and hard whenever we want and still be more or less safe, yep. right? Like mm-hmm. accidents happen, of course, but we get to be safe that we tap and take care of each other and be respectful of each other. But we get, we can do that at a high level and we can do it regularly, which you can't do that with anything else, I think, right? Yep. So I think it will, um, I think there's some pitfalls, but I think it'll take care of itself just because of the nature of how we practice. And so it's exciting. I don't know, like, you know what, in, um, in UAE, it's like in all the schools, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Like it's their national sport. Mm-hmm. Will we get there? I don't know. But do we want that to happen? Wow, that would be cool. Or I don't know. I don't know. We're there's just so much possibility, right? Yeah, so. it's an interesting an interesting time for the sport right now. There's so, like you said, there's so much possibility. There's been so much change recently, so you can only imagine what what the change could be like in the next few years. Like the last ADCC was unbelievable, and they're gonna yeah. like, you know, most trying to like blow it up more. <laughs> yeah. And you know, is it gonna finally become a more spectator friendly sport? Let's see. We could. I mean, it could. Like, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, it's a really exciting and, time. And you have, like, Fight to Win. And, you know, like, that's a great group because they're always bringing it at a high level and at a very local level, the way yes. they're building that, which keeps building the community, right, mm-hmm. at at the different levels. Um, and the interest and the participation and that's awesome yeah so uh it, it's it's going to be exciting to see what happens and then there's like crossover with grappling and mma there was always a little bit of that like some organizations like in japan those things were married a little closer but one is doing that over there mm-hmm. and um you know like are they going to grapple or are they going to fight mma we'll see <laughs> you know some of the matchups but uh, and then you have combat jujitsu, right? So there's like this connection and the connection between wrestling and jujitsu and wrestling and MMA. It, like wrestling jujitsu is so getting so blurred now and it's amazing, right? Well, yeah. especially Nogi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's crossover both ways. And that is so exciting um, to see when when you see wrestlers coming over to learn jujitsu. Wow. Right. Cause yep. for years, I mean, I've been trying to wrestle, wrestle for, for many, many years. <laughs> I've been training wrestling for many years. I finally got a takedown, you know, a couple of months ago, <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and so I, I think there's always been fits and starts and pockets of people trying to make those connections, but now it's like inevitable with Nogi, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like blending the sports and wrestling on the ground and connecting the techniques and um, and those worlds coming together because it used to be very uh, adversarial, yep. right? Jiu-jitsu versus wrestling and, oh, he's a wrestler. He, you know, <laughs> and, and now it's just such a different 
connection at a high level, right? Like, yeah. like wrestlers learning from high, high level wrestlers learning from high level jujitsu people and vice versa, right? Like, like wrestlers, uh, jujitsu guys, you know, just training takedowns and, and doing them. And we have wrestlers that have come over to compete in jujitsu and it's, it's an exciting time and it's very cool. And now we can, you know, you get to watch not just like one sport, all these different things. And, you know, then I see like some high level guy or a wrestler, like post a picture in his little gi with his white belt. <laughs> and, it, and everyone's like, he's not a white belt. You yeah. know, it's like, okay, yeah, he has, he has good base, you know, he could he get a blue belt, but he's also going to get choked because he, he doesn't know that yet. Right. Yeah. But that's exciting that they're excited about it, you know, and that gives them this different longevity, you know, like, I don't know that wrestling after it takes a different toll. It's a different intensity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point you don't get to do it recreationally or just as a regular class, like we can with jujitsu. Yeah. So those wrestlers, like, uh, one of my training partners was a former high level, you know, D one wrestler. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's in the master's division now too, but he's completely like bought into jujitsu. Right. And it's like a way to stay in shape, to grow, to learn different things, to use some of the stuff that you already know and to add this whole other thing to it for the rest of our lives, you know? And if, if, if I can be healthy and stay in great shape by doing jujitsu and not have to go to a gym and go on a treadmill or lift weights or do any of those things that are not nearly, nearly as fun as just rolling every day, man, like that's why I want to roll forever. You know, like I get that, that serves everything across the board. It's, that's health, that's mental, that's spiritual, emotional. It's everything, right? Yeah, totally. And it's just so much, it's so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. You just got me really excited about the future of the sport, <laughs> talking about the blend of everything. It's so awesome. So I think that's a good place to, to kind of wrap it up. I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, do you have any like sponsors or any friends you want to thank or shout out? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, roll forever. Um, my friend viral BJJ. Benny. <laughs> um, yeah. Roll forever. You know, like that's what we were just talking about. That's mm -hmm. the premise. You know, she just got her black belt. She's in her sixties. She's awesome. It's like, she started in her fifties. The guy that got me in started in his late fifties mm -hmm. and it's something that we get to do and stay healthy and feel alive. Right. And be part of this world. And it, it's given me so much, right? And so we want to keep doing it. Roll Forever, Roll Dogs Kimonos, Luta Gear. Um, check them out. Noosh, Noosh uh, Protein, uh, Almond Products. Uh, just everybody, you know, like all my training partners, all the people in the community, you know, like it is exciting. It is exciting yeah. and just more and more people becoming part of it and you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It really is awesome. I'm super excited for the future and it's been, I'm excited. I got myself yeah. excited. <laughs> you got yourself pumped. <laughs> well, it's been really fun talking to you. It's been really fun following your career and seeing you win all those different titles and do it over doing it over such a long time frame and still being so involved and so passionate about the sport. It's really amazing. So thank you again for joining me and thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. This is episode 113 of the Open Guard Cast, and we will see you guys all next week.